Hello, my dear friend. The Priest of Aleppo from Writing Prompts. A mark on your forehead identifies the god you must worship to stay alive, usually by joining its local church or temple. Your mark is unknown, meaning an old forgotten god sponsored you. To survive, you must either find an old temple to worship at or do the arduous task of building a new one. Nobody in your small village has ever seen the god mark that you were born with. It's a dark russet sequence of crisscrossing lines with a vertical arrowhead on the left and a circle on the right, just over where your brow meets your temple. Some of the traders who come down from the mountains say it looks like one of the scripts used in the hinterlands, but not a language that any of them recognize. If she's got the temperament for it, she should try her luck inland, they advise. No point her starting a temple here. She'd find her people elsewhere with a little searching. At first, your parents are reluctant to send you away. Though you're well-behaved and diligent in your chores, you're a sickly child with no god to worship. And besides, you've always been the dreamy type, inclined to lose track of time watching the path of rain droplets chasing down the window, or the fronds of an anemone as it sways in a rock pool. Instead, they send you the Temple of the Storm to learn all you need for your own god. You are happy there for a time, making up beds and serving food to the castaways who pass through, keeping vigil at the lighthouse, burning incense and praying with the loyal widows and orphans of the drowned. One such widow, an old, old lady, touches the mark on your forehead. I recognize those letters. I wrote this way in the town where I grew up, way off past the mountains. Your heartbeat quickens. What does it say? She squints, eyes engulfed by wrinkles and hidden behind smudged glass. Ah, ah. Oh, I can't remember how to speak it. I left before I learnt my letters properly. There was a war, you know, but I remember, she says mistily. The most beautiful pink and white flowers used to grow on the borders of the wheat fields. You try to ask more questions, but remembering the war distresses her, and so you speak of other things. When she's drifted off to sleep, you get to your feet, go home, and tell your parents... You are leaving in search of your god. Your father gives you his best oilcloth coat. Your mother packs up enough salted fish to feed a small army. Maybe your god will have a grand temple, your father suggests, with many priests and worshippers. Maybe, you say quietly, the truth is that you wouldn't care if the temple was a hovel as long as the god within was yours. Your best friend hugs you tightly goodbye. Scrubbing tears from her freckled cheeks, she gifts you a mother-of-pearl pendant she polished herself, strung on an old fishing line. Give it to your god when you find him. You nod, shed a few tears of your own, then head off on your way. 
You make slow progress at first. You'd saved little money working at the Storm Temple, but you still need to find work along the way. You follow trading carts inland, doing odd jobs, harvesting food and mending clothes. The further you go, the less gods you recognize, but still nobody recognizes the god's name written on your brow. At home, you might have been godless, but you were sheltered and fiercely cared for. Out here, you're on your own. You fight down the fear rising within you and press on. And yet, you cannot help but be delighted by the beauty of each new corner of the world. The way it unfolds like the road before you. So many tiny details you'd never have known if you hadn't left home. Glowworms that light your way in the lush valleys. Eagles that soar across wide, clear skies. You meet kind strangers, people who tell you where to cross the river, which mountain paths to avoid, who will hum and haw over your godmark, knocking on doors and fetching a priest from the next town over just to be sure. And even when none of them can help you, they invite you to stay for a meal, and before you know it, it's a party. Gradually, some strangers become friends to you. And this world... Of great and little gods, one farmer tells you. The quest for a deity is a noble one. And don't worry, if you can't find a god, you can always make your own. I've got a fallow field out back. Might as well become a temple. She winks at you. I can think of worse neighbors. You end up staying with her for almost a month. And when you leave, it's with a warm glow of fondness that stays in your chest like banked coals. So you go on and on, pushing further and further away from your home, learning a little of the local languages as you go, sending scrawled letters home by any traders headed for the ocean. You miss your friends, your parents. They burn like beacons in your memories, but still you press forward, growing stronger as your body and mind become used to traveling. Walk on, walk on. You can't turn back now. And then, one late summer day, you come to a fertile land of olive trees and cypresses. You pass through a town and realize, with a jolt of excitement, that you recognize some of the letters from your god's name. On that sign, the arrowhead, over there, the sideways three-pronged fork. You ask around in the market square. And a curly-haired young man selling apples taps his chin thoughtfully and fetches an elderly relative who's been playing cards with his friends in the shade of the Harvest God's Temple. Oh, I'm fairly sure there used to be a family with that name who owned some wheat fields not far from here, he says. They were scattered by the war, but we still call that hillside by their name. Why don't you stay until this evening, when it's cooler, and we'll walk up. You can take a look around. So you settle for the day, pulling out some needlework to pass the time. You watch two children playing together nearby. They braid together the stems of pink and white flowers that they gather by the handful from the verges. You remember the words of the old widow, and your excitement builds. 
Maybe. Finally, this is it. Then some adult calls to them across the square, and they rush off together hand in hand. You look after them, the ties that bind you to your home pulling tight and aching in your chest. If this is just another dead end, you say to yourself, I don't know how much further I can go. You feel like the tide reaching up to its highest point. Soon you will have to turn for the ocean. By the end of the, at the end of the day, the apple seller and his old uncle fetch you a drink of water and a crisp freckled red apple from their stock. You think that you're not hungry, but as your teeth pierce its skin, you find you're ravenous. As you eat, you walk up out of town, up to the rolling fields beyond. They once belonged to a sower and his sons, says the apple seller, but when the war came, well, nobody survived to tend them. They've long since been divided up amongst the neighboring farms. It's almost harvest, and the stems are tall and shimmering, moving like waves in the evening breeze. In your home village, the temples are marked out by tall beacons. Their lights are visible out at sea, where sailors touch a hand to their godmarks and think of home. You look around, hoping for a building, a pavilion, anything, but none appears. Disappointment lodges itself like a fish hook in your solar plexus. As the sun goes down, lavender skies over golden fields. You find yourself staring at your feet instead. Your shoes are worn almost threadbare. And for what? You should have stayed at home. Thank you, you say to the apple seller whose old relative is starting to huff and lean heavily on a stick. I'll stay up here for a little while. Sensing your disappointment, he nods. If you need somewhere to sleep tonight, we have space in our croft, he offers. You nod gratefully and then watch as they make their careful way back down to the village, leaving you alone on the hillside. You sit down heavily on the fallen trunk of some ancient dead tree. It's blackened as if struck by lightning, and you let yourself cry for a bit, and it soothes you. You rest your forehead in your hands, gently feeling your god mark. I'm sorry, you whisper. I'm sorry I couldn't find you. Just as your sobs are subsiding, you feel a timid pat on your shoulder. One of the little children from earlier stands in front of you, his friend trailing him like a shadow. Are you all right? He asks, unsure of how to comfort an adult. Drying your tears, you nod. What are you two doing out here? It'll be dark soon. Well, we came to get some flowers. They grow best around here. The pink ones you were braiding earlier? They're lovely. His friend shyly holds out a wreath to you. It's messily braided, but still beautiful. You can have this one. 
You accept the wreath with heartfelt thanks, and then point to the bloom still clutched in her small hand. What about that one? It's for the god up the hill, says the boy so casually. You feel as if you've been struck by lightning. The god, you say, trying to keep your voice light. It trembles regardless. I didn't know there was a temple in these fields. What sort of god lives there? The girl takes your hand and you get hastily to your feet, following her up a path so faint it's barely there. A suggestion. An indent of bent grass across the field. This god? He's the god of apples, she says to you confidently over her shoulder. No, he's the god of friends, the boy corrects her from behind you. My sister told me he's the god of flowers and fields, too. Isn't that the god of harvest? Actually, there are two gods, the girl interjects, as you stop to catch your breath at the top of the hill. One's more friendly, and the other's a bit shy. They're not used to visitors, but as long as you leave them something or sit for a while in prayer, they'll listen to you. Which is more than the crummy harvest god ever did for me, even though I have her god mark. You clasp your best friend's pendant in your hand. You're shaking. I think I have something to offer them. The children step forward first, and you follow, terrified, hopeful, barely breathing. At the very edge of the field, near the tree line, there is a little cairn made of grey-blue stone. It's shaded by leaves, the first hint of autumn's yellow spreading through the green. When you left home, it was barely spring. We brought you flowers, the boy says, kneeling down in front of the cairn. He's addressing the god, your god, and someone new is here to meet you. He adds, stepping back so you can approach. She came from a long way away, so please be nice. You kneel before the cairn and take off your pendant. As you do so, the hair is pulled from your forehead, revealing your god mark. I promised my friend I would gift this to my god, you whisper into the stone. What sort of a god are you? There's a long silence, and then comforting is the first step from the storm-tossed boat onto dry land, a voice speaks into your mind. I am the god of unbreakable bonds and everlasting friendship. A promise brought you here, you say. I think we'll get along just fine. And then, as salt water springs to your eyes, another voice speaks up. A low, ancient voice made of rustling leaves, of dawn forest, of fallen petals and freshly tilled earth. Arepo, the god says with delight. It seems that you have found your first priest. Be well, my friend.